Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hello, and welcome back to our latest installment of Eye for an Eye. We are your hosts, Julia, Lisa, and Matt, and we are here to determine whether the punishment, or lack thereof, fits the crime. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Eye for an Eye podcast. I'm your host, Lisa. I'm back with my besties, Matt and Joel. Say what's up, you guys. Hey, y'all. What's up, you guys? Hi, we're here again recording virtually, so I'm trying my hardest not to scream every first word into the microphone because I do know that I do that. So I'm going to try to be cool, calm, collected this whole episode. We'll see how it goes. But we are recording virtually because our schedules are a little bit hectic this week. So I just wanted to let y'all know again, if you hear some noise differences, some differentials in our sound, that is because me. <laughs> so um, thank you guys for participating in the potato debato. Now this is going to be pretty far removed from the potato debato. Unless I switch around the schedule, which I'm probably not going to do at this point. But for those who participated months and months and months ago, thank you for your participation. It was fun. And I feel like we'll have to do it again because... We 100, we'll do a spring potato debate. Yeah. We'll do one every season. Some of the results are shocking. Potato salad, we need to have a talk. Everybody, thank you so much for participating in that. Shout out to our new Patreon members and to everybody who has donated other ways. We have a PayPal link, which shout out. We have new producers through that link. Shout out to Michael and Carolyn. Thank Ooh. you for your love. But let's get right into it. I know long intros can get annoying, so I'm going to try to not and say I did. Okay. Today, we are talking about a wild case that I actually first heard of when I saw the movie The Lords of Chaos. I don't know if any of our true crime friends here are familiar with the movie, but it is really good. I, I mean... It's one of those movies where it's kind of all over the place, but if you know this case or you listen to this podcast first, then when you go and watch it, it might make a little bit more sense because I know one of the reviews about it is kind of that it's all over the place. So you really do kind of have to have a background on the case, but that's what it covers. So it's pretty interesting. Definitely something to check out if you are interested, but that is what we're talking about today. So let's get right into it. I don't want to spoil it too much before. I start talking about it. So a little bit of background. If our listeners remember, a few episodes ago, we talked a little bit about the genre horrorcore. And that was part of the Farmville episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. It's a really good one. We had a really cool special guest on there. Uh, Black metal, I just want everyone to know, is in like my Spotify, what's it called, Raft. Wait, why? <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> oh, I was going to say that is so funny. No, honestly, like there's so many <laughs> sub- genres of music and work or is again one that I didn't know about until the farm case. So, <laughs> yeah. well, so this is in the same realm, right? We talked about horrorcore, but today we're talking about a different uh, genre. Now, horrorcore is a subgenre of hip hop music. So it's like the more death focused, darker hip hop type music. Whereas black metal is, as the name suggests, it's metal music. So we are talking all about black metal today and kind of that whole scene. Black metal is considered by many to be more extreme subgenre of heavy metal music. Quick tempos, shrieking vocals, distorted guitars, they make up some of the core black metal sounds. The name black metal was actually conceived as a fancier way to say satanic metal, with themes in black metal music ranging from anti-Christian, war, death, destruction, and rebirth. You know, the huge. Controversial names in the black metal scene were Gorgoth and Watan. Is that how you would say that? Watan? I feel like I pronounced that way fucking wrong. Looks like Warfriend, which is a drug I'm learning about. I think you did your best. That's all I can do. They were known for their live performances, which usually included real impaled animal heads, which you can see online if you ever Google any of these bands. It's wild. Medieval weaponry and cutting themselves on stage and dousing themselves in real blood. Typically, of course, it's animal blood, not human blood, but you never know with these subgenres and how far they go for that shock value. But there is one black metal band who took all of those things and turned them up a notch, or Ted. And that black metal band was Mayhem. Let's talk a little bit about it. Before we get into the band itself, who we're talking about specifically today, and I'm sure many of you already know where I'm going with this, but we are talking about Varg. I'm going to mess up all of these names. So Matt, feel free to correct me because you might have some better sort out of how these names are said. Because the Lord knows I don't. I'll do my best, Lisa. I don't think he's... Right now, we're going to talk about Varg Verkanis. And if I fucked up his last name, I apologize. I'm not Norwegian, nor am I going to try to be. But I do love the country. But we're going to just call him Varg. Born on February 11th, 1973 in Bergen, Hordaland, Norway, Louis Cachet, or Cachet, however it's pronounced, who would later be known infamously as Varg Verkanis, was raised in a, let's say, interesting household. When he was six years old, his family uprooted to Baghdad because his father was, and I quote, working for Saddam Hussein. Now, again, this is a quote from Varg himself, so we can maybe take that with a grain of salt, but they did move to Baghdad. Varg went to an Iraqi elementary school as no English schools were available, and he recalled that in school, corporal punishment was huge. However, his teachers never dared hit him, and again, these are his words, not mine, but because, in quotes, he was white. According to Varg, his father had a swastika flag at home, And you can form your own opinion on that one. While Varg states there was no skinhead action in Bergen, where his family eventually moved back to, it was widely reported that he was part of a neo-Nazi skinhead culture as an adolescent, which would come to no surprise given the flags he grew up around. Varg claimed in some interviews that he had short hair at the time and that he was into weapons, 
and that he liked the Germans and hated the British and Americans, but that he was no skinhead. Which, like, okay, you have swastikas all over your house, my friend. At age 14 is when Varg says he picked up his first guitar, which would then spiral him into what we're going to get into here later. Folklore is said to be one of his main influences, and it's one of the heavy influences in black metal music, actually. Obviously, the darker parts of folklore, rather than, like, cute little elfin things. You mean folklore, the Taylor Swift album, right? Yeah, yeah, this is no Taylor Swift music right here. The first band that Varg joined was called Kalashnikov, which was later changed to Yurik High, which, again, I so apologize for my pronunciations of these names. I am horrible at speaking American English, let alone any other. Kalashnikov is where they get the K, like an AK. So I'm not sure. What's the A stand for? Automatic? I was just going to say I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, automatic Kalashnikov. Yeah, I know it's Kalashnikov. That I'm certain. Matt is better with pronunciations than I am. So if he chimes in and corrects me, it's not him being an asshole. It's him genuinely helping a sister out because I struggle very hardly. Or is it? By hardly, I mean hard because hardly isn't a word in that context. So I give up already. <laughs> but Yorikai, whose name was derived from a type of orc, which is a mythical creature from J.R.R. Tolkien's writing, is one of the, what? <laughs> no, I was just relating that to the Lord of the Rings, the Yurikai. That's funny. That's what. Yeah, isn't that, so? That apparently happens a lot with black metal music. A lot of black metal bands take a lot of inspiration from J.R.R. Tolkien, which is kind of interesting. I thought as a side note, age seventeen is when Varg connected with members of a band called Old Funeral, whom Varg played guitar for from nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety one. Once he got his feel for the music scene, so the black metal music scene. Varg founded a Norwegian music project called Burzum, which has been considered to be one of the most influential acts in black metal history. Even though Burzum has never ever played a live performance, like the band itself, Burzum. Varg has played, obviously we'll talk about his live performances, but he has never played live with his band Burzum. Which I found really interesting that has such a highly regarded influence on the black metal scene for them to never have had a live performance. And as we just talked about, the word burzum means darkness in the black speech, which, those of you who are fans, was a language crafted by Tolkien as well. So after recording two demo tapes under burzum, Varg attracted the attention from Oisin Euronymous Arseth who was the co-founder of black metal band Heavyweight Mayhem, as well as the co-founder of Death Like Silence Productions, founded in 1987, which was an independent record label for black metal music and music of the sort. In what seemed like a blink of an eye, Varg found Burzum, and shortly thereafter, his likeness under the pseudonym. He called himself Count Neck, and that's what he was known as in the band, but that doesn't matter. This would cement the beginning of what many would say would be a very deadly friendship. I'm talking about mayhem a little bit, and this is where more names that I'm not going to be able to pronounce come in. And I, again, I deeply apologize. I looked up the pronunciations, didn't help me any, so I am a struggle bus. But in 1984 is when guitarist Euronymous founded the group Mayhem. 
Mayhem's name came from the Venom song, Mayhem with Mercy, which is another musical influence of people with the black metal scene. Their musical influences were said to include Black Sabbath, Slayer, and Venom, to name a few. Now, while the band's members have changed throughout the years, Oystein, who founded Mayhem, was on the guitar and vocals, and he called himself Euronymous. Jorn Stubrud was Necro Butcher, and he was on the bass and vocals. Hellhammer, whose real name was John Axel Bloomberg, and he was on the drums. And then there was a bunch of other rotating members. But then we get to Per Olin, who was also called Dead, and he was on vocals as well. Varg, who called himself Count Grisnak, and he was on the bass. And then Blasphemer, who was Rune Erickson, was on the guitar and bass. The original band was made up of Euronymous, Necro Butcher, and Cage Teal, later adding on Dead and Varg. So those were the original members, but they had a lot of rotating members. And if you want to look those up, all of which had nicknames such as Hellhammer, Ghoul, Messiah, Manic Dead, Count G, Blasphemer. They all had very, very interesting nicknames. But if you want to look up more members or the current members, because Mayhem does still exist, you can go take a little Googs and they will show up for you right there. As we talked about, the vocalist who was part of Mayhem, who named himself Dead, was known for his controversial and shocking stage performances, along with his pretty dark personality. He was said to have a morbid fascination with death. And that was a direct inspiration for his stage name, which was, again, dead. It is said that his obsession began around the age of 10 after his spleen ruptured from a brutal beating he endured from school bullies. He was declared clinically dead for a brief period when he was at the hospital from that beating. And I think that is what many attribute to his fascination with death and his obsession, dare I say, with death and why he named himself Dead for the band Mayhem. A little bit more about Dead, and this will be important in a minute, and you'll see why. It just adds some, let's say, color to this story. Dead was fascinated by death, and a lot of people attribute that to his near-death experience when a bunch of bullies beat him up because he was... I guess, deemed the weird kid. I don't agree with bullying in any form or fashion, but that is what it was said. His bandmates noticed he was different. And when I say different, Mandules, I mean different. He would collect and hoard dead and decaying birds, often did not shower, was odd and introverted. Now, being odd and introverted is not a problem, but maybe collecting and hoarding dead, decaying birds you know, it crosses a couple lines. And they do say the animal thing. Yeah, you know? animals. I was going to say we could have given him the one that Ranger had the other day. Oh, gosh. R.I.P. Little Rangy. Killing bird. R.I.P. Rangy. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bird did not make it. He would have been added to Dead's collection. Hellhammer, which was another band member, described Dead as, quote, a very strange personality, depressed, melancholic, and dark. End quote. Euronymous was quoted saying, quote, I honestly think dead is mentally insane. Which other way can you describe a guy who does not eat in order to get starving wounds or who has a T-shirt with a funeral announcements on it? End quote. And again, these were said in Norwegian. This is just a translation, I believe. Different authors who have studied and written about mayhem have believed that dead suffers 
from a rare mental disorder, which is real, called Cotard delusion, which is where the person affected believes that they are already dead, do not exist, are putrefying, have lost their blood or internal organs, or are literally a corpse. Occultus, who was another band member, said, quote, he, talking about dead, didn't see himself as human. He saw himself as a creature from another world. He said that he had many visions, that his blood had frozen in his veins, that he was dead. That is the reason that he took that name. He knew he would die, end quote. That's a real thing. A lot of people, including his family members, believe that it started with his actual near-death experience at like 10. Yeah, you think that had much impact on him? Jesus. Kept- right? Maybe because of why, I mean, we don't know specifically why he was bullied other than like the usual nonsense that people are bullied for. But maybe he got the shit kicked out of him and was like, you know what? Like, maybe they can't hurt me if I'm already dead. Maybe something like that. But it is a real um, disorder. So who knows where the origins of it come from? We should look into it and maybe do a few more episodes on it because it's very interesting. Hard to imagine yourself because we are all living, believe we're living, act like we're living, hopefully don't want to die. You know, we're already in the alive mindset. So it's very interesting to think about someone who feels quite literally the exact opposite. During Mayhem's live performances, this is when Dead's true colors really started to come out. He would often dress in corpse paint, which involved covering his face in black and white paint, often in ways to resemble corpse. So not how like Kiss does it, not that kind of paint where you have like stars and like fun, like clown-like makeup. No, he did it in order to accentuate features to make him look like he was a corpse. He wanted to look like he was dead. And another thing he did, you guys, he was known to bury his stage clothes and dig them up again to wear during a show to give the dirty, smelly, rotten appearance. Because he, again, he wanted that. He really encompassed the word dead. Throughout many of their live shows, One of the things that contributed to their notoriety was that Dead would often self-mutilate by cutting himself with a hunting knife and broken glass while up on stage. And of course, with the black metal scene, if you think like Black Sabbath, if you think Ozzy Osbourne even, they're always doing things to shock people, but that kind of took it to a next level. Mayhem's even one of the bands who put dead, decapitated animal heads on their stage, like pig heads and stuff. There's pictures of all this stuff online. But Dead took it to that next level where he actually self-harmed on stage, which is definitely shocking to see. But I'm sure when you're in the audience, you think it's part of the production and maybe don't realize how real it is. Was there no one in the audience alarmed? I think because of the scene that we're talking about, no. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that, like, pumped them up, right? If you think about we were talking about with the Farmville murders, with the horrorcore hip-hop genre. All of those are about like very specific ways to hurt and kill somebody. Maybe it's one of those things where they were like, oh, like he's not killing himself on stage. He's just adding to the flair of the music. And their music was dark and satanic. So not saying that that's anything to do with Satanism, but I think he was really playing into his stage persona, which people probably found maybe not necessarily cool, but fascinating right it's like a train wreck you want to watch and see what's happening that's probably why no one stepped in but Jules you do make a good point because his band members were 
stressed out by this. They believed that that was even too far to the point where a lot of his band members would subdue him and help patch him up when he would begin cutting himself because he did that on and off stage. A lot of people reported throughout, you know, the years that this was going on that they just believed his mental state was declining. They believed that he was just really struggling and they noticed that and they acted on it. His band members weren't sitting around idly being like, oh, yeah, like this is so cool. I think during the stage performances, they kind of let it go. They didn't like stop him in the moment. They just kind of wanted to play into it. But I do believe that they were concerned and there are reports of them physically subduing him because they were worried about the behavior. I thought that was really interesting because sometimes you would think that like maybe since the audience played into it, they would think like, oh, it's getting us more, you know, notoriety or whatever. Let's keep it going. He's, you know, losing his mind anyways. Let's let him have at it because then we get that, that like one up on the black metal scene because we're seen as like hardcore or whatever. But that's not exactly what happened, at least not with all of the band members. So it was hard not to notice this only with some of the band members. Uranus became fascinated with dead suicidal ideologies as it fit the band's dark personas. Pretty much all the members but Euronymous was like, this is this guy needs help. We need to help him. Euronymous was like, yeah, keep it going. This makes us the elite black metal band. We're seen as hardcore. This crazy stuff happens at our shows, which brings people to our shows. That was very interesting. In 1991, Dead, Euronymous, and Hellhammer all shared a house in the woods near Crackstad, which they used to write and rehearse new music. I'd like akin to like a recording studio off in the woods, but they lived there. It was their house. It was just a place for them to write and record music and just kind of decompress as a band. But remember who lived there? It was Dead, Euronymous, and Hellhammer, all band members of Mayhem at that time. Now, not a fan of technology, Dead spent most of his time doodling and writing letters as his depression worsened, which again, some of the band members but not Euronymous, found very troubling. In an interview, Necro Butcher recalled that Euronymous would intentionally push Dead's buttons, even once saying Dead opted to sleep in the woods as Euronymous was blasting synth music that he knew Dead hated. And then when Dead went out into the woods to get away from Euronymous blasting this music that he absolutely despised, Euro followed Dead into the woods and began shooting off a gun into the air to further antagonize Dead. He saw that his bandmate, I was going to say friend, but I don't think that's an accurate depiction of their relationship. He saw that he was struggling, and instead of doing what he could to help him, it seemed like he was doing everything in his power to egg him on and make him spiral further downward. Again, important to remember, and this is Euronymous who is going after Dead, was another member of the band. There were also reports from Varg that Dead had gotten so fed up during an argument with Euro that he stabbed him. So that's very interesting, too. It turned violent at times. And that was a report from Varg. So, you know, we'll talk about if we can take that with a grain of salt or legit. But based on what everybody else is saying, Euronymous definitely egged on Dead. And Dead was spiraling downward fast. So he was not in a good state. Now, here's a trigger warning. Again, I think... By now, all of our episodes have the same trigger warnings. Just if you're triggered by, you know, really any 
rape, sexual assault, suicide, murder, you know, these specific episodes might not be for you, but in this case, it is suicide. So if you are sensitive to the topic of death by suicide, or, you know, you just want to skip over this part, I just wanted to put up a little trigger warning. On April 8th, 1991, while Euronymous and Hellhammer were not present, Dead penned a suicide note, used a hunting knife to slit his wrist and throat, and used a shotgun to shoot himself in the head. His suicide note read, and this is translated from Swedish to English, quote, excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods, so that would take a few days before I was possibly found. I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyways. To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not a human. This is just a dream and soon I will wake. It was too cold and the blood kept clotting, plus my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed dying to the knife, I will blow the shit out of my skull. Yet I do not know. I left all my lyrics by, quote, let the good times roll, quote, plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, may I present, quote, life eternal, end quote. Do whatever you want with, my, with the fucking thing. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. Unfortunately, Dead did end up taking his own life, as we talked about. And Euronymous happened to be the one who discovered Dead's body when he climbed through a window of the house due to all the doors of the house being locked. But you guys, this is where things get dark. And this is what I want you to remember about Euronymous to start this whole conversation about what we're going to talk about as far as where things go way south. Instead of immediately phoning authorities, Euronymous decided to go to a nearby shop, purchase a disposable camera to photograph Dead's body. He rearranged some of the items by Dead's body to get the perfect shot. It also was said that Euronymous took pieces of Dead's skull that had fragmented off during the blast, as well as brain matter, and made necklaces for himself and all the musicians that he deemed, quote, worthy. Dead's death by suicide caused a major rift between the mourning bandmates and Euronymous, who seemed to be enjoying the whole thing. Necro Butcher, again another band member here, recalls how Euronymous told him of the suicide. Quote, he said, Oyston called me up the next day and says, quote, Dead has done something really cool. He killed himself. I thought, have you lost it? What do you mean cool? He says, relax. I have photos of everything. I was in shock and grief. He was just thinking how to exploit it. So I told him, okay, don't even fucking call me before you destroy those pictures. Not only, you guys, did Euron not destroy those pictures, he later decided to use the picture of Dead's body to foster Mayhem's evil image and use the image as the cover art for a bootleg copy of their album, The Dawn of the Black Hearts, which was released in 1995. It's a very graphic picture, but yes, it is on the internet and it is very easily found because it was released as a cover of the band. And yes, I have seen it. It is very, very sad that that was even a thing. He used it as an album cover. An album cover. That's horrifying. Like, it was distributed to human beings. Um, this man's suicide. The one, I'm, I lost all the names, and 
I can't pronounce them if I could, but I'm glad the one guy was like, what do you mean cool? Because that was literally my thought. That was Necro Butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All their names are definitely uh, creative. (laughs) Yeah. And like you were saying, Jules, Necro Butcher was not okay with this at all. He was creeped out. He was disgusted. He was angry. And all of that made him decide to leave Mayhem. That pushed him over the edge when he realized what Euronymous was doing to exploit Dead's death to up their band. He said, fuck this, I'm out. He speculated that Euronymous is taking the pictures and forcing others to see the pictures was his way of coping with the shock of finding his friend's body. I think, though, that this guy was just a little fucked up. I think Euronymous just had something loose because before he even died, he was egging him on and stuff. But yeah, it doesn't really seem like a coping mechanism, mechanism. Yeah, that we can judge the way that anybody copes, but just doesn't seem right. Yeah, that's definitely not what I'd go to first for coping. It is interesting that Necro Butcher, even after saying that Euronymous was notorious for like egging dead on and being a piece of shit still kind of tries to defend him in that way dead's death by suicide seems to be when euronymous and the band mayhem decided to take things up a notch let's talk about it from june of 1992 to january 1993 a slew of arson attacks and attempted arson attacks on at least seven different churches spread throughout norway the Fantoff Stave Church, Assane Church, Stortvitz Church, I don't even know why I tried to pronounce all of these, uh, and a bunch of other churches. <laughs> the Gold Church and the Holman Colon Chapel were all set aflame with some burning completely to the ground. The cover of Burzum, Burzum's EP, which was called Ash, which is Ashes, is a photograph of the destroyed church and that didn't help varg at all because remember burzum was varg's solo band that was not part of mayhem that was a separate entity still signed under euronymous's record label but that was separate and he used one of these pictures of the burning churches as his cover art which tied him directly to the arsons he was connected and later charged though he was found not guilty with those crimes. While he never admitted that he personally set the churches on fire, Varg has claimed that they were not satanic, but instead, quote, revenge for the Christian desecration of Viking graves and temples. According to Varg, the arsons were on the anniversary of the Lindensfarne Viking raid. He also claimed that all but one of these arsons was completed by one person. Now, I don't know how you know that unless you are that one person. Vart couldn't help himself but connect himself to the arsons in what seemed like an attempt to bring black metal back into the spotlight. He talked about these arsons a lot and often talked about them with personal knowledge related to them without directly saying he was the one who caused them. Because he couldn't help himself, he contacted a local newspaper, Bergen's Tidend, and told them that he personally knew who committed the arson and would connect them to who did it for an exclusive interview if they promised to publish it. 
He told the BT journalists that they were to come to the apartment alone and if they told authorities, they would be shot. Of course, the BT journalists were excited. This is big news. These were huge arsons, very old churches being burnt to the ground in a succession. They were being heavily, heavily, heavily investigated. So they wanted to crack this story. They agreed. When the BT journalists showed up to the apartment, they were met by Varg and some of his acquaintances and told the journalists that they were devil worshippers and that the attacks would continue. They said that their intention was to spear fear and devilry. In the interview, which they allotted to BT, details were given about the crimes that were not released to the public, which BT was able to confirm and cross check with the police prior to the publication, meaning whoever was giving these stories, aka Varg, was directly connected to these arsons. On top of that, to add insult to injury, because Varg literally just lived for attention, much like Euronymous, the cover of the piece that BT published shows Varg himself with his face mostly obscured by long dark hair with two large knives in his hands, which are held across his chest in an X formation. Yes, we will be posting that picture. Unfortunately for Varg, if that wasn't a stupid enough way to be arrested by the police, they caught up to him prior to the article even being published due to seeing an address on his band Burzum's flyer and because he couldn't shut up about being involved with these arsons. However, as always seems to happen, Varg was released in March due to lack of evidence connecting him to the arsons. Now we're really getting into it. Churches are being burned down. Euronymous is exploiting Dead's death to elevate their band. Now arsons are starting to happen, again, being connected directly to the band and band members. Things are just on a ride, and they're on a ride straight to hell. In early 1993, tensions came to a head between Euronymous and Varg after the newspaper interview that Varg did with BT. The record store that was the hub for numerous artists and fans of black metal music, Helvet, was shut in a decision made by Euronymous who owned it as it was drawing attention from the police. They knew this was where people in the black metal scene hung out. They figured that this is where Varg was at. And they started showing up a lot, which was driving away customers and people who hung out there as a place to find commonality with people who are interested in the same things they were. And in this case, that's black metal music. It was no secret that Varg craved the spotlight and was willing to do whatever it took to get there, whether that be burning historical churches to the ground and then bragging about in the media or whatever else. Some speculate that Varg was always in Euronymous's shadow, especially after the grotesque actions that Euro took after Dead's death by suicide. Meaning, a lot of people speculate to this day that Varg's next action, Varg hated being in Euronymous's shadow. He hated the fact that Euronymous got all the attention for the band, even though it technically was his band and he did start it. He hated that Euronymous was getting infamous for publishing pictures of dead's death he was hating this he wanted to be the center of attention which is why he started burning down churches some speculate and it started to really build people were fascinated by the seeming lack of morals between the two and how it all tied into the black metal persona right it seemed like they were constantly trying to one-up each other 
well, you're going to take a picture of a dead body and publish it. Well, and, and collect his skull, which was deemed to be true. A lot of people confirm that they have pieces of dead skull that was made into a necklace from Euronymous. So that is true. There were other rumors that he like ate part of his brain, but that was never corroborated. Just to let y'all know. But people loved this, right? Like this was like a crazy black metal band doing the most, trying to one-up each other. They were kind of fascinated. People were disturbed by the church burnings, the way their shows were put on with the dead heads of animals, the cutting, dead suicide. All of this was culminating this black metal scene to be this like deep, dark, you don't want to fuck with me type of genre, right? And it attracted people who felt like they were outcasts and misfits and all in between. But No matter what Varg seemed to do, it seemed it was never enough to push past Euronymous's spotlight. Every time mayhem was brought up, it was about Euronymous, not about the churches. And if it was about the churches, it had nothing to do with Varg's involvement. Now, reports vary on exactly what took place, but we will try to piece together the information we found to recreate as best as we can to what happened. And why now again remember these vary so it's going to go a little bit back and forth here according to varg he had a contract he wanted euronymous to sign essentially releasing bruzum from their contract with death like silence productions because remember varg's solo little thing that has a heavy influence on black metal music we will give him that credit he had a contract with death like silence productions which is euronymous's production company Varg was just like, I want out. I want to start my own thing. I can't get past this guy, so I'm going to be my own entity. It was also worth noting that there are reports that Euronymous owed Varg a large sum of royalty payments from Mayhem's music and from Burzum. Varg, however, allegedly caught wind that Euronymous had plans to torture and murder Varg for his dangerous and destructive need for attention. According to Varg, he heard that Euronymous wanted him dead because he kept doing these like crazy things that were bringing negative attention, but in like an illegal way to mayhem. And he didn't like that. He didn't want that to be associated with it. He wanted to be, I think it was, again, one of those things, if that part is true, which again, it's based on Varg's account. So who knows? But I think if anything, it was again that that push and pull for attention because it wasn't Euronymous's idea or Euronymous doing it. He didn't want to be part of it. He didn't want it to be connected to them. And he hated the attention that the police were paying. Because of course, if you're in jail, you're not going to really be able to do much for your band or your production company. That is what Varg said. He said that Euronymous planned to stun him with an electroshock weapon, tie him up and torture him to death while videotaping it all. Now remember, he did take a picture of a very graphic scene of suicide. So is it beyond the realm of possibility? Probably not. That is probably not much of a lie. But again, this account came from Varg. Varg was reported saying, quote, if he was talking about it to everybody and anybody, I wouldn't have taken it seriously. But he just told a select group of friends, and one of them told me, end quote, about the plans of torture and murder. 
While originally Euronymous also reveled in the edgy, dark aspects of black metal music, it was said that he started to get more serious about the business end when he did realize that arsons and other destructive behaviors were hurting and not helping their band and their image. And again, I think that also stems from one, not being his idea. And two, when you're in jail, you're not going to be able to do much. So he started to realize that police were starting to pay attention to him and he was like, nah, we got to back this up. But Varg was not letting go. And I think that's where the frustration came from. There is a clear break in how Varg saw the scene and how Euronymous saw the scene, which is why some speculated that Euronymous wanted to take Varg out because they were trying to take the black metal scene in two very polar different directions. I say that lightly, maybe not very polar different directions because polar opposite is what I mean by that. But I mean, they're both still doing some pretty fucked up things. So, I mean, I wouldn't say they're super opposite. But like I said, it was reported that Euronymous wanted to take it more seriously and that Varg was not doing so and still doing outlandish things that were hurting the band and kind of muddling the black metal scene. Due to believing that Euronymous was planning to torture and kill him, Varg wanted to make sure he brought back up when he went to get the contract signed, is again what he claims he was doing for Euronymous. So he and his bandmate Snore Rush, who called himself Blackthorn, he took him with him to ensure his safety when obtaining the signature from Euronymous. Remember that Snore Rush, who we're going to call Blackthorn because that was his name in the band, Blackthorn went with. Varg and Varg claims the reason he came with them was because he was scared that Euronymous was going to hurt him and he wanted someone to be there if things went wrong. Varg claimed he was willing to do whatever it took to sever his professional ties to Euronymous, and though he claims he did not go to Euronymous's house with the intent to commit murder, he was willing to use whatever means necessary to get the job done. Meaning, he wanted this contract signed. He went in thinking that Euronymous was trying to kill him. And he kind of was ready for a fight, right? He came willing and ready for whatever it goes down. It's going to go down, but I'm going to have backup and I'm going to be prepared. So with that mindset, on August 10th, 1993, Varg and Blackthorn got into their car and drove from Bergen to Oslo, which is roughly a six hour and 51 minute drive. A long drive ahead of them to go to Euronymous's place. Blackthorn allegedly stood in the sterile smoking while Vark made his way up to Euronymous's apartment on the fourth floor. Now, again, this account is purely that of Vark, as unfortunately, he was not only the perpetrator, but the only other witness to the events that had unfolded. So he brought blackthorn as backup but then left him in the stairs right yeah it's weird it's like i think it was uh, the way i kind of picture it in my head and the way i probably saw it in the movie but i saw the movie a while ago is that he kind of just stayed back and was there if he heard something go on that he would run and help or something is kind of what i pictured varg trying to say but again let's let's talk about what happened and then we'll see how how much we believe the account of events. This account is purely that of Varg. Varg said he met Euronymous at his door to hand him the contract. But when he stepped forward to confront Euronymous, Euronymous panicked and kicked him in the chest. 
At that point, Varg recalled Euronymous retreated into the kitchen to arm himself with a kitchen knife. A struggle ensued with Varg and Euronymous fighting into the hall and stairwell. Again, and stairwell, which is where his friend was supposedly standing. Varg gained control of the knife and ended up stabbing Euronymous 23 times. Two to the head, five to the neck, and 16 to the back. To the back, let's remember that. Varg claims to this day most of the wounds Euronymous had were due to him falling on broken glass during the struggle. After the murder, Varg and Blackthorn drove back to Bergen, again, which was six hours and some change away, and only stopped at a lake along the way where Varg disposed of his bloody clothes. While the self-defense claim is doubted by many, Mayhem basis Necrobritcher, who again, was at odds with Euronymous and was really upset by his actions, disgusted by them even, and left the band because of him, did believe that Varg did kill Euro due to the death threats. He believed that Euronymous did genuinely say he was going to kill and torture Varg on film and release it to the public. However, Blackthorn who was the one smoking in the stairwell when Varg murdered Euronymous, claimed Varg did indeed plan on murdering Euronymous and pressured him into coming along, saying, quote, I was neither for or against it. I didn't give a shit about Oysted. End quote. Varg denies this claim, saying there was no plan of murder and that Blackthorn was trying to save himself, which I don't get. And that he had come a long way to show Euro new guitar riffs. That's why Varg says he was there, because Blackthorn wanted to show Euronymous his new guitar. Interesting, though, because Blackthorn incriminated himself, so why would he be lying? You know what I mean? But Varg has a reason to lie, right? Because if he agrees to what Blackthorn said, he's admitting to planning a murder. So it makes sense why he's like, no, no, no. We didn't go there to commit murder. What are you saying? We went there because you wanted to show your new guitar riffs and I wanted him to sign a contract. It wasn't long because Varg is a really shitty criminal. He was arrested nine days later on August 19, 1993 in Bergen. During the arrest and search of Varg's residence, police found 150 kilograms of explosives, 3,000 rounds of ammunition, and all of those were in his home. Some suspect Varg had plans to continue his arson tirade and escalate it to explosives. However, of course, according to Varg, he denies the claims of planning further attacks and simply stated that he was collecting the ammunition and explosives in order to defend Norway if they were attacked at any time. Because he is Norway quite the soldier. Earning Varg for anything. <laughs> 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 So Varg's trial began on May 2nd because everything is in May 1994, and he was represented by lawyer Stein Eric Mattinson. While Varg was on trial, others in the black metal scene, including Blackthorn, were also on trial for their crimes because you can't be an accessory to murder or arson and just float freely through. During the trial, it seemed Varg's dreams of becoming Norway's nightmare came true as the media portrayed him as, quote, the nation's first real boogeyman in 50 years, end quote. In the trial, prosecutors claimed that Varg, Blackthorn, and another friend had planned the murder, but this other friend was never named, at least not in the articles that I was able to find. 
and they alleged that that third person in question stayed behind in Bergen to serve as an alibi for Varg and Blackthorne, renting movies and taking money out of Varg's account to make it seem like they were in town when this murder happened. Sentencing was pretty quick. I think they had really all the evidence in the world. On May 16, 1994, Varg was sentenced to 21 years in prison, which was Norway's maximum penalty for the murder of Euronymous, the arson of the three churches and attempted arson of a fourth church and for theft and storage of the 150 kilograms of explosives. This day Varg was sentenced, two churches were set on fire, which many believe was a show of support for Varg. Blackthorn, who did not take part in the murder, which is, again, interesting because he was standing in the stairwell where the murder took place, but, you know, we'll go over that in a minute, but was physically present in the stairwell during the attack and listed as an accomplice when sentenced to eight years in prison. During sentencing, Mayhem's record was released, which had the murderer and the victim on both tracks. Euronymous's family asked for his base tracks to be removed, in which Hellhammer said he would do. However, he did not, citing, quote, I thought it was appropriate that the murderer and victim were on the same record. I put word out that I was re-recording the base parts, but I never did, end quote, which further upheld that, like, dark, decrepit, black metal scene. They wanted to seem batshit crazy, and that's exactly what they set out to do. Let's talk about a little bit more of the frustrating part, and then we're going to have some questions here. Varg was sentenced to 21 years in prison, which was the maximum, and that was for all of the crimes, not just the murder. It was for the arson, the murder, the explosives, the attempted arson, all of the above. Varg served his sentence at prisons in Bergen, Tonsberg, Ringerreich, uh, Trondheim, and Tromsø which are all different levels of security prisons, which is very interesting to note as well. He got kind of moved around based on the way he was behaving. According to Swedish scholar Matthias Gardell, while in prison, Varg launched the Norwegian Heathen Front, a pagan neo-Nazi group which Varg denies, saying he is only part of the Society for the Preservation of Traditional Standard Norwegian, which works to preserve and promote Riskmal, which is a conservative form of written Norwegian. I tried to look that up to see if it had any actual anti-Semitic racist origins, but I couldn't really figure it. A lot of people say it's a neo-Nazi group, and I'm just going to go with that because based on his past, it sounds like that would be fitting. On April 8, 1997, Norwegian police detained and arrested five neo-Nazi young men who were planning on trying to break Varg out of prison as one of the men befriended Varg in prison before successfully escaping himself. The group had, quote, all the trappings of a paramilitary unit, including guns, explosives, bulletproof vests, steel helmets, and baklavas. Varg's mother, Leanne Bohr, was arrested with supplying the group with over 100,000 kroner, which is equivalent to around 11,000 USD, which she confessed to doing. However, denied it was because they were right-wing extremists, and she denied even knowing that they were right-wing extremists. She only did it because she claimed Varg was being attacked by other inmates, and she wanted to help him out, and physically help him out, like help him get out of jail. His mother ended up not being convicted, and charges were dropped, despite her confessing to giving them this money to help them break him out of jail. 
While Varg was in prison, he recorded two albums made up of ambient and neo-folk music as he was given access to a synthesizer while in prison. In August, Varg was moved from a maximum security prison to a low security prison, where later in October, he would go on the run after being granted a short leave. Because I don't know if you know this, I know we talked about it. Heather Mack, her sentence was crazy light too. Remember, Matt, she like was given a cell phone, like prison and... Bali sounded like a fucking like <laughs> making calls, sending tweets. Yeah, it's like she like made YouTube videos. Yeah, she was all he, she had a better internet presence than I do. <laughs> so it seems like Norway, maybe while not as lenient, has these kind of laws where I know Canada has them too, where you like you can leave prison essentially and come back if you like promise you'll come back, which is the most bizarre thing ever to me. Obviously, that's not exactly, yeah. Obviously, that's not exactly how it works, but that's how it feels like it works. Because they let him leave. And when he left, surprising no one, he hijacked a car at gunpoint, leaving a family of three inside shaken and stranded. 19 hours later, the police caught up to Varg and arrested him. And get this, when they searched the vehicle that he stole, they found knives, a gas mask, camo clothing, a GPS map, a compass, a laptop, and a mobile phone. When searching the cabin in which Varg hid during his escape, which is where they found him, police found a handgun and an AG-3 automatic rifle. Police concluded that there is no way Varg's escape was a solo mission and assumed that there were many people on the outside of his name. I'm going to go out and guess one was his mom who paid $11,000 for other people to help him get out, so I don't understand. Before his escape, 13 months were tacked on to Varg's sentence. Wow, what a what an extreme differential there. Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're not going to give him leave to McDonald's. He's like, I'll take another 13 months for another two days out in the woods, man. <laughs> Varg was convicted. It was possible to serve only 12 years of the 21-year sentence. But in June, or not in June, but in 2002... The Norwegian parliament extended this to 14 years. So kind of like in America where it's like 25 to life where you have to serve the 25 before you are considered for parole. This was the same type of deal in Norway where when you're convicted of the full 21-year sentence, you technically only have to serve 12, which we're going to have to go over. But they extend that to 14 years as if two years make any fucking difference. But, you know, who are we to judge? which is what we're going to do here in uh, one second. So in June 2006, after serving only 12 years, Varg was denied parole because they extended it to 14 years. However, his lawyer complained that this denial was a result of retroactive legislation saying that Varg should not be held to a new standard that was set in place after his conviction. He was denied parole again in June 2008, but was allowed to leave prison for short periods to visit his family because, again, prison makes no sense in other countries. Really not in this country either, but th this is confusing. On May 22nd, 2009, after serving 15 years of his 21-year sentence, Varg was released as a free man. Before we get into talking about his uh, little sentence here, I just want to go over a really quick little life after prison because Varg was very, very vocal after prison. A little bit of a celebrity himself, right? Varg released 
three more black metal albums after his release and became a YouTube blogger. Because that is what one does when you are getting out of prison for murder, arson, and having explosives. On July 16, 2013, Varga and his wife, who is a French national, were arrested at their home in France on suspicion of planning acts of terrorism after his wife purchased four rifles. They were released after she provided documentation saying she had legal firearms permit and after police failed to identify any terroristic plans or targets. She just wanted some firearms, you know, four rifles who need. However, Varg was then charged by French authorities with inciting racial hatred against Jews and Muslims, going into his nice little Nazi, you know, his Nazi persona. This came about after posts on his blog were riddled with anti-Semitic rhetoric. Varg claims these posts were not written by him, but was sentenced to six months probation and a five of 8,000 euro, which is equivalent to about 9,000 USD. In 2019, YouTube finally removed Varg's channel, which had 250,000 subscribers, which coincided with YouTube's newer policy to be more aggressive in removing and monitoring channels that, quote, alleging a group is superior in order to justify discrimination, segregation, or exclusion, end quote. In 1998, the book called Lords of Chaos covered Varg's case as well as the overall black metal scene. And that book was later adapted into the 2018 film that I spoke of at the beginning of this episode, which is a film of the same name. It's called the Lords, or it's called Lords of Chaos. But Varg hated this. He hates that um, movie and he hates the book. And he hates it because he's the murderer in the story and they don't make him look really nice. So I'm sure Varg had problems with that. But that is the case of Varg Verkens or Verkenes or whatever the fuck his name is. Who cares? He's a murderer. He's out, which is scary. So if you listen to this, Varg, please don't come send explosives to my house. I would appreciate it. But let's talk about it, you guys. I have a lot of questions and we have a little time. So let's get through them. Do you guys believe Varg went to Euronymous with the intention to kill him? Now, remember, he claims he went there because he wanted out of a contract, but he did come armed with backup and probably with weapons because he believed that Euronymous had a plan to torture and kill him on film. And people told him this, and this was backed up by other band members. What do y'all think? I think it's hard to say whether he went there with the intention to kill, but I think he went there with thought that I may have to kill. If that makes sense. I know then that's like, I'm not really answering the question, but I think his intention is hard to prove. Like, did he get in the car and say, I'm going to kill him? Or did he get in the car and say, if he comes at me, like these people say he will, I'm going to kill him. Seemed like bringing backup. He knew he was coming strapped. <laughs> he wasn't like. Right. But was the backup because he truly thought his life was in danger or because he planned to I, kill i think he just wanted to fight somebody i don't know why because remember blackthorn said he came with the intent to kill him and that was the person who came with him that's yeah I, and i just want to say i love the names of this episode i think i might consider renaming myself um <laughs> Necro Butcher? Necro Butcher, thank you. Lee. I think Blackthorn would be That's great. That's my favorite. Necro Butcher. 
cadaverous mat. Can we just have a moment for Negro Butcher? <laughs> the names are quite. Let me let me read through the nicknames one more time, really quick. Yeah, they are quite. Because I need it's it. The only thing I can pronounce properly, and again, no offense to Norway or anything. I'm just garbage at all pronunciations. I don't think most Norwegians go by Necro Butcher. So <laughs> <laughs> Euronymous Necro Butcher Hellhammer. Hellhammer. Hell, that's another bull. Messiah, Maniac, Dead, Count Grisnak, and Blasphemer were the were the people in the band. <laughs> but Necro Butcher, I think, might be my favorite. Hellhammer and Necro Butcher, I think, or uh, this, Count whatever uh, the fuck. I'm like, hanging out with my friends Chewbacca, butt fucker, and Garth. <laughs> and Garth. That's what I hope to be called. Can you guys call me Garth from now on? Hey, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it is interesting, though, that that the only other witness, in quotes, well, speaking of witness, I mean, he was in the stairwell. I feel like he actually did witness something. And he probably heard it. He probably was, heard it go down. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, down the down He wasn't the far away. Yeah, he was just chilling. He's like probably fine. And some yelling, and it's like, what was that? Like, <laughs> oh, was I here to do something? You have but seen good pods in real loud. Well, you know what's interesting though is that he incriminated himself. Like, like didn't even give a shit. He was just like, "Yeah, we went there to kill him." <laughs> and Varg was like, "Hold up, what? No, we didn't." And my cousin Benny's like, "I shot the clerk." He's like, well, "Yeah, you shoot him." He's like, "Well, I shot the clerk." He's like, "When did you shoot it?" Uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm just like what." So you guys do believe, or you you are saying you don't necessarily believe he went there specifically to kill him, but he was like ready to throw down if need be? I don't think he went there saying, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. But it seems to me like if you bring back up, you come prepared, you're of the mindset that like, I have beef with this guy already. Yeah, it seems pretty appropriate to me to say it, at least characterize it. He was at least ready to kill, if not going to kill. Right. I think I don't think he needed a lot to be provoked. Yeah. Um, it didn't take much. No. But I, I don't I, I don't think we'll ever I don't know. We'll never know the truth. Okay, so then on the flip side of that, do you believe Euronymous really did want to kill and torture Varg? Again, that's Varg's account. He said he heard it. He said that he believed it because Euronymous said it to a select free group of people. And he said he wouldn't have believed it had he, like, broadcasted it to the world. But because it was just, like, whispers amongst his close friends, he really believed it. And Necro Butcher, our favorite, the OG, he did say that he had heard Euronymous say that he wanted to kill Varg and that Varg was ruining the black metal scene. So what do y'all think? Do you think Euronymous really had some plans? You think Varg kind of got Euro before Euro got Varg? Sounds I think like both said <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> oh god, yeah, it's very interesting. It's wa- you guys will have to watch uh, Lord of Chaos together because very. Is it more of a documentary or more of a movie? No, it's it's like a like a retelling, which I think is why Varg hates it because the fucking whole movie is about. really ugly to play him. Yeah, the whole movie is about that. So let's talk about sentencing. Just do you think Black Thorn should have been sentenced to eight years in prison for being an accomplice? And again, he's only an accomplice based on his own confession and physically being there. 
But according to Varg, since that wasn't what they planned on doing, was he really just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or was he truly an accomplice and is eight years a fair sentence for being such? I mean, he copped to it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, if the only testimony in any (laughs) contrarian personality to that is the guy who you were with, he doesn't want to go to jail. And he's saying, wait, no, bro, we didn't say that. We were, we were just bullshit on the way there. But to me, you drove six and a half hours. Bro. Like you had plenty of time to be like, yo, maybe we should, maybe we should just get a bite to eat and go home. But it seems to me like they made a pretty firm decision. And then I don't know exactly how it happened, but. Maybe, uh, maybe at some point along the way, Blackthorn decided <laughs> their names. <laughs> I can't call. Them. <laughs> I mean, whether he did it or not, he confessed, and so I got in that act. He needs some sort of jail time. Yeah, but do we think eight years is hefty, or do we think that's appropriate for a call? I, I think that's appropriate, honestly. I mean, if he was really down the hall smoking a cigarette, then he wasn't there there he didn't kill anybody but if he knew damn well what was going to happen he was just like oh, I'm, I'm gonna smoke this i'll be right in do we know how many years he actually served no i tried to look it up and i couldn't find it because of varg's release i was curious on that but i could not find anything it just talked about the sentence i was gonna say because that would be interesting he's, he's still in jail He's still in jail. That's the killing John. <laughs> yeah. Blackthorn is out here copping all the crimes. I'm going to guess he's like, like a year or two, probably. He's alive when the Hittenberg blew up. It's like, I know, but it was me. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find it. I tried really, really hard to look it up. Some punishment should have been in place, but if, if Blackthorn served like all the full eight years and Fucking Bart for 15. <laughs> that is like a little, a little aggressive. Yeah. Maybe that if he got out in like a year. Maybe they gave him eight years for being stupid enough to like fully cop to it. Like they're like, all right. They're like, dude, five better friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is just for shitty, you know, shitty friend making. All right. So let's talk about it then. I agree with you guys about Black Thorn. I think. Eight years in the normal world is is probably pretty fair. I do think if he was part of planning, that makes total sense to me. It does feel a little bit harsh for just kind of being around when a murder takes place. But if you drove six and a half hours you it, and claim that this was planned, yeah, maybe you should be serving the full time. But I'm going to go ahead and just imagine that he didn't. If anyone knows, let me know because I'd be very curious. Do we believe an eye for an eye was met? Varg got 21 years, but only served 15 years. And is that appropriate for murder, arson, having explosives as 15 years? And then also is 21 years or either one of those is semblance of a fair sentence for stabbing somebody a million times to death after driving six hours. That's like a crime. because And in the back also. I do want to talk about that. I don't think I for nine was met because I don't think that Varg should be out and about in the world 
his YouTube videos. They're wild. He's going to hear this and should be out and about in the world. And so. And like, why does he keep getting such slap on the wrist sentences? Right. How does the parole system work in Norway? Is he being required to check? Well, not only was he paroled early, he escaped. And they didn't do anything. For like 13 more months. <laughs> What's wrong? Like, we're going to cut it out because your sentence is like nothing anyway. They'll shoot you in the fucking face in the U.S. if you escape. <laughs> They're like, we can't have this motherfucker alive anymore. He must have figured something out. What do you think, Matt? He got a 21-year sentence. That was the max. But he only served 15 years. And escaped for part of that. <laughs> and escaped. And like... Both of those. I want to know if you think either one of them is eye for an eye for what this this guy did. And like I said, it's not just murder. If, if, if it was just murder, this would probably be too lenient. But it wasn't just murder, which is the craziest part to me. It's not like it's like 21. Like how the U.S. they'll do like 25 to life for murder and then you get another 16 years for arson. Then you get another 86 years, which we've talked about because it drives me nuts when they do that, when they give you like 67 life sentences just in case the first three run out and you need another one to lock you away. That shit's annoying to me because I'm like, okay, he's never getting out. Just say he's never going to get out and don't give him the opportunity to get out. You don't need to sentence him to some 1,665 days in jail because, okay, we know he's not getting out, you know, I just years. They sit there and read every count out <laughs> one by one by one. Like, I get it, but just group the sentencing together. Like, it would be cool being a victim. I, not well, That sounded weird. It would not be cool being a victim. But it would cool, be cool to hear as a victim your the person being charged for the specific crime that they perpetrated against you, right? So, like, if Jules and Matt both separately stole my car, I'd want to see both of them be sentenced for stealing my car. You know, that would Jules be really good. I wouldn't want to see them. <laughs> yeah, I think we're setting our sights a little higher. No offense, Lise. <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing that? still in the car. Me, Jules, and Peanut will be halfway to Mexico, but um, <laughs> they'll figure out the car. They'll be like, "Was the car gone?" I'm like, "Well, where's the dog?" <laughs> oh god! But so, what do you think about the sentencing, Matt? What and Jules? What do you think it should have been, or is this fair for the hundred crimes? I don't think it's fair. If that's <laughs> if I can be flat, I mean. Seems like a psychopathic murderer. The guy stabbed somebody 23 times and then escaped from jail. Oh, yeah. That was something I meant to comment on, the 23 stab wounds. Because you would think that if you were truly defending yourself, 23 wounds just a lot. And don't you love that he pulled a Lauren Singleton, shout out to the Mary Vincent episode, and tried to say he fell on glass and that's why he has yeah, randomly all these stab wounds? That the depth that glass is going into your skin if you fall on it is different than being stabbed. But I'm just yeah, and I'd have to imagine that investigators know that difference pretty well. <laughs> ones with a serrated knife and ones with a, a shard of glass. I think those leave two different marks. Indeed. But so you think twenty one was garbage? What do you think he should have gotten? Life? I think life. Life without the possibility of parole seems pretty When no leads to McDonald's randomly, so you can... Jaunt in the woods, you know, <laughs> going to hang out with Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, <laughs> the animals, and he's going to come back and start, <laughs> Do it all again. start a metal band with him. <laughs> and wait, what about that? Do you think it was appropriate that he was able to have his metal band no. <laughs> in, in full function while he was in jail? 
if I ever go to jail, I'm going to be, I, I'm just going to make it as light as possible at trial. And then I'm going to push hard for my sentencing to take <laughs> place in Norway. Like, I, I want to go to jail in Norway. <laughs> take them to Norway with you. I, I want that. I, yeah. Like I accept responsibility, your honor. Can you house me in Norway? <laughs> Can you house me? <laughs> I will pay for the cost of shipping. Or Bali. Here we go. Shout out to the Heather Mack episode again. I but. feel like that wouldn't be as lenient, though. I mean, honestly, yeah. from what I read about Norway, you can pretty much get away with anything out there. <laughs> God, this, dude was doing, this dude was doing a lot. The most. It's like, it, it's... It's almost like a slap in the face to Norway's, like, policy. Like, every time they put him back in jail, they let him go, and he just did something else ridiculous, and then he's back in. It's like this weird game that they're playing. But, you know, what an interesting case. We'll have to watch Lords of Chaos. It's very interesting. It's very sad about Dead's death, but it is very interesting that he, I think, truly believed he was already dead and just really encompassed that. It was all a premonition to him. Yeah, which is kind of wild to think about. Definitely very graphic that they published. By they, I mean your anonymous public. And, like, that's what I'm saying is, like, I don't wish death on anybody ever. That's ridiculous. But, like, it doesn't seem like your anonymous was, like, the best dude on earth either. You know what I mean? It's, like, not that he deserved to die, especially not in the way he did die or at all. I don't think he deserved to die. But he was a little fucked up as well. You know what I mean? It wasn't, he wasn't all rainbows and butterflies either. And I think a lot of the time when victims of crime are talked about they're talked about in like such a oh they were the best ever and I always used to say Matt I think I said it to you a bunch of times where like what if like one time like you watched a true crime show where like everyone just shit on the victim I think the only other case I've ever heard that happen on was Dee Dee Blanchard all the documentaries about Gypsy Rose Blanchard and Dee Dee Blanchard all of Dee Dee's family is like she sucked she was terrible like we threw her ashes down the toilet we'll have to cover that case it's wild but the documentary is even more rad. On that note, let's uh, wrap this guy up. Thank you guys for joining us today or tonight or whatever you're doing. We appreciate your love and support. I think this case is pretty wild. Sorry again for the mispronunciation of probably every single word, including the American English words that I have said, because Lord knows I can't pronounce anything, you know? But here we are. There we stay. Great. I thought it was lovely, truly, really good. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. Make sure you're hitting those four or five stars up in there. We know we ain't perfect, but we damn well try to be. Give it to us, baby. We give y'all. And perfection. <laughs> um, but it really helps our show. So anything you want to do to support us, a lot of the links are in our bio. So we just love you and appreciate you. Thank you for coming by. Bye. Hold on. Bye. 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 Bye.